bow with me. Heavenly Father, the majesty and glory of your name, we come to honor you because you have sent the Lord Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, Redeemer, King of kings, Lord of lords, ruler of the nations, even in these days of war and trouble, sin and wickedness abounding. We pray for the peace of Jerusalem today. We pray for your care over the fatherless and the orphan. Pray your grace and mercy be extended to every sinner who calls upon you. We thank you for it today. We say hallelujah. We praise you today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. If you have your Bibles, Genesis chapter number 3, and if you're a guest with us today, again, I want to say what Pastor Todd mentioned. Welcome to First Baptist Church, and and, uh, I'm honored for you to be with us. uh, As always, if you are a guest, please let us know who you are. We'd love to talk with you, get better acquainted with you, and tell you more about the ministry life of our church. Remember your Creator. This is my challenge to all of you today as you come uh, this Sunday morning as we gather uh, together. Remember your Creator. The way we remember our Creator best is when we come to have a living relationship with Jesus Christ. And so we'll talk about that today. We come now to Genesis chapter number 3. Genesis number 3. And we'll be reading here today and also... Uh, I know you open your Bibles, and I love to hear you open your Bibles. Also, find your place. Uh, put something, a marker or something in, Rev- in Romans chapter number 5, Romans chapter number 5, because I will make a comment or two toward the, uh, toward the end of what I have to say. And I want us to hear what Paul the Apostle had to say also about this significant, uh, the significant truths we find in, genera- uh, in, in Genesis chapter number 3. Romans chapter 5, just put a mark there for now. So we begin reading in Genesis uh, chapter number 2, verse number 24. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and his mother and be joined to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. Chapter 3, verse 1. Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, Indeed, has God said, You shall not eat from any tree of the garden. The woman said to the serpent, From the fruit of the trees of the garden we may eat, but from the fruit of the tree which is in the middle of the garden, God has said, You shall not eat from it or touch it, or you will die. The serpent said to the woman, You surely will not die. For God knows that in the day you eat from it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. When the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was a delight to the eyes, and that the tree was desirable to make one wise, she took from its fruit and ate. And she also gave it to her husband, And he ate. Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they knew that they were naked. 
And they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loin coverings. They heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. Then the Lord God called to the man and said to him, Where are you? He said, I heard the sound of you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid myself. And he said, that is God said, who told you you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree of which I commanded you not to eat? The man said, the woman whom you gave to me to be with me, she gave me from the tree and I ate. Then the Lord God said to the woman, What is this you have done? And the woman said, The serpent deceived me, and I ate. Heavenly Father, now bless the reading of your word, and may the Holy Spirit of God be our teacher today as we look at these very important words. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Today our focal truth is, to look at a day like no other days, decisions like no other decisions ever made by human beings on the earth until the coming of Jesus and the gospel. This is the day that sin entered the world, Genesis chapter three. Today we remember with sadness, we remember now the price and the cost to our Lord Jesus Christ as we have sung all morning together salvation because this, uh, there was a permanent destructive decision made as we've just read on this day that led to most, uh, a most permanent destructive act in the lives of individuals which produces permanent destructive consequences even to this day. Everyone who is in the, within the sound of my voice, you are also experienced in the things we read about, and so am I, the preacher for today. We are all sinners. We all know what it is to sin. We all know what it's like to follow sin, to allow the flesh and our desires to drive us and to believe lies from the evil one that lead us into great sin and difficulty. We see in these words, these very important things. What does God say? He says, you shall not, you shall not. This is important. You shall not eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. You shall not. The devil says, you surely will not die. God says, if you eat it, you will die. The devil says, you won't die. Then the woman sees in verse uh, number six in chapter three, as I've read, famous words. Preachers preach on these words in detail many times. What did she do? She saw, the devil said, you'll not die if you eat of this fruit. But she saw that the tree was good for food and a delight and desirable to make wise. And so she took it and she she ate it and she gave it to Adam. 
And then they hear God and they run and hide from God and God comes saying, where are you? God comes asking. Not that he would not know, but God is asking, where are you? Because God has had such a wonderful relationship with humankind, man and woman. Where are you? Where are you, God says now to a sinning man and woman. And he finally says to Eve, what have you done? What have you done? Well, today, this is what we want to think about and consider. We'll never appreciate the glory of the gospel and the Lord Jesus Christ and the grace of God until we understand how deep, how dreadful, how horrible is the sin of sinfulness. We must understand it. And so today we, we, look, we look in the face that which led to our Lord Jesus' death for us, our sinfulness. So I have three observations. I'll take you through Genesis chapter 3 and keep your Bible open. You can follow along with me. I hope you will. These three observations are what I want, want to say with you today and say to you today as your pastor. Now, there are lots of other people you can listen to and preachers who come and talk about these words in their own ways. These, these are the things I've selected to say to you. With my responsibility here as your pastor, number one, sin entered the world in the perfect paradise God made for mankind. Where did sin enter the world? Sin entered the world in the perfect paradise God had made for mankind. We'll see secondly for a moment, and I'll remind us that sin entered the world in this perfect paradise garden willfully through man's disobedience to God. And my words are chosen carefully. Sin entered the world when mankind willfully, as an act of will, willfully disobeyed God. And then we'll see finally that sin entered the world producing separation from God and death. All the affairs and all the events that go on in this world today, the wars, the murders, the hatred, the anger, the adultery, the sexual sin, the godlessness of our world, all finds its origin in sin. Sin against God, rebellion against God in every way. But it was not always like that. We've been born into a world of sin. We've known nothing but ungodliness and sin and wickedness, not only in our own personal lives, but in history ever since we've been born. We, we all went to school and we read history and history is filled with blood and hatred and ungodliness from countries all over the world. We read the Word of God. We pick up and read now from Genesis as we know and the history and the Word of God. Uh, plagued with the sinfulness of man till it finally is so great that a universal flood comes on the earth and all mankind is destroyed along with the vast amount of the creation, living creation, and only Noah and his family are left. Sin, the darkness of sin. 
It entered a world in a perfect paradise garden made for mankind. God saw, God made it and it was good. How many times did we read that in the weeks gone by? God made it and it was good. God saw that it was good and God made it and it was so. This was God's perfect purpose. Everything God makes is perfect. So God puts man, let's just go back and think about this perfect paradise. If you have chapter two in your Bible open there, you notice that the Lord God in verse eight planted a garden toward east, east and Eden. Let me use, talk about these two words. And a lot of people, again, the book of Genesis is like the book of Revelation for many, many people struggle with things and they get all hung on some things and miss the point. Don't miss the point by getting hung on certain things. God planted a garden. Now this Hebrew word is the word for an enclosure. It was a place. It was the home for Adam and Eve. It was an enclosure. You can read everyone you want about it and all the rest. That's not my task today to go elaborate on this. It is an enclosure. The word of God says the Lord God planted an enclosure toward the east. And the word of God says... Excuse me, in Eden, the word literally means pleasure, in the place of pleasure. You see, God is not one who is not uh, the creator of pleasure, but pleasure is to be taken and, and to be experienced in a relationship with God. That's God's design. God planted a garden, enclosure, and and, and as we read in verse number eight of chapter two, in Eden, in pleasure, there in that place called pleasure, there he placed the man. He put Adam there, whom he had formed. This is before even the making and the creating out of Adam's rib in the woman who came. But she then came to be in that enclosed place. God made protection for him in this wonderful, pleasurable place. Adam and Eve were there in Eden, and Eden was a place with all kinds of resources for man. Just read back with me, Genesis chapter 1. God says to, uh, to humans, I have given you every plant yielding seed that is on the surface of all the earth, and every tree which has fruit yielding seed, and it shall be food for you, and to every beast of the earth, and to every bird of the sky, and to everything that moves on the earth, which has life, I have given every green plant for food. And it was so. We, we read in uh, chapter two, verse nine, out of the ground, the Lord God caused to grow every tree that is pleasing to the sight and good for food. But amazingly among these trees, you have also the tree of life, verse nine, also in the midst of the garden and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. In verse number 10, a river flowed out of Eden to water the garden. And from there it divided and became four. And then for the sake of history, there was this description of these, this river into four tributaries. God gave mankind satisfying, meaningful work. In verse number 15, the Lord took the man and put him in the garden uh, to cultivate and to keep it. He wasn't just sitting around with birds dropping food into his mouth. He had a responsibility. He was given meaningful work. That's always been God's design for men and women, for humans to work, to have meaningful work. And so it was a place where he had meaningful work and then he was, a man and woman were experiencing the beautiful fulfillment of oneness 
in marriage. Genesis chapter 2, verse 24, this reason a man leaves his father and mother and joined to his wife, they become one flesh. Now, in this, uh, in this pl place of, of God's perfect paradise garden, there is meaningful work and there is fulfillment in their marriage. It was also a place of unbroken fellowship with God with only one law from God. Unbroken fellowship with God with only one law from God. Chapter two, verse 16, the Lord God commanded the man, from any of the trees of the garden you may eat freely, but from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you shall not eat for the day in which you eat, you will die. People have said, oh, if we can just make the world perfect, everyone will be all right. I submit to you there was a perfect world and everything wasn't all right. You see, God provided everything for humankind, for men and women, and all the relationship of marriage and the privilege of work and meaning with all of the abundance of food and water and everything that they would need in an amazing world that uh, we don't know or understand because we live on this side of the flood, but an amazing place that many speculate and talk about. Nevertheless, mankind had everything needed perfectly given by God. God gave man everything, God gave woman everything that he or she needed in order to have fulfillment, and it was good. Adam and Eve were living in heaven on earth. God designed it for them. God made it so that he might be glorified and honored through all that he had made to his own glory. What else could mankind ever need? Well, then we come to read in chapter three. We don't know the gap of time, between verse number 25, and the man and his wife were both naked. That is, they were innocent. They were without sin. They had brilliant minds. They had the ability and capacity to understand the created order why Adam gave to all of the, all of the living creatures. He gave them their names. He, he, he's, there is this brilliance among them. There is this capacity and intellect and ability in their relationships and their relationship to God was one of amazement, living without dying. There was just, they were innocent and they were not ashamed. There was no shame. Oh, listen to me. There was no shame in this world. No shame. We live in a world filled with shame. Shame causes people to do such terrible things. Shame is all around us because of sin, as we'll see. But this is a world where there is no shame. And then... We read in verse one, sin enters the world when mankind willfully disobeys God. We read verse one, now the serpent was more crafty than any beast of the field which the Lord God made. And he said to the woman, this is the devil, the evil one speaking through this being. We won't work on this today. We won't talk about the serpent. We won't speculate on it. We, won't, we only have that it's the servant who's more crafty and the servant speaks as the deceiver. We know that to be the devil. Indeed, has God said, you shall not eat from any tree of the garden? This is the question. The woman answers from the command. Verse two, from the fruit of the trees of the garden we may eat, but of the fruit of the tree which is in the middle of the garden, 
God has said you shall not eat it or touch it or you will die. And then we have the deceiver's words. Who will man believe? Who will woman believe? Will they believe God who says if you touch it and if you eat it you will die? Or will they believe this unique creature? This one called serpent in the text. He says, you surely will not die. So the deceiver was in the perfect garden of paradise telling lies to mankind in order to get them to sin against God. You shall not die. You shall not die. The lie of the devil echoes to this very day. You shall not die. You shall not die. You will live forever. Now mankind, uh, through transhumanism and other philosophies and other scientific uh, uh, aspirations, believes that he can somehow achieve uh, no death, immortality. You shall not die. You shall not die. This becomes the desire of mankind. Not, uh, you shall not die because it's not because you'll be saved and have eternal life. It's because of something that will evolve in man. But what does the woman do? She covets, she lusts, and she desires. She sees that this is, she, her attention is drawn by deception to this one thing, the one command, the one tree that they were not permitted to touch and to eat, and yet she did so. And we read these unbelievable words, words, an, an act that changed all of history and all of the created order. Uh, an act that was carried out that to this very day, the creation, as Paul tells us, groans. There is a groaning in creation. There is a growing old of creation. There are curses upon the very uh, created order because of this act. This act carried with it consequences that are, will be here until the end of this heaven and earth. She saw it for good for food. She delighted in the way it looked and she desired it and that it would give wisdom and she took it and she ate it. A description of what sin is like in all of our lives. We see it, we desire it, and we do it. We see it, we desire it, and we do it. We don't care what God says. Open revolt against God. We don't care what the Word of God says. We're not interested in it. We try to explain it away. Or as some seek to do, well, this Bible is filled with all kinds of errors and it's foolish talk and it's a bunch of myths and fables made up. Why would you believe such a thing? You, you, you won't die. You're not, God just doesn't want to have a rival. Open revolt against God. The only restriction, the only commandment in the perfect garden God had made for man don't touch nor eat the tree of knowledge. But nevertheless, man does it. Mankind was created with free will and was able not to sin. He was not a robot. He was innocent, but made fully with a will to change and, and, to, and to determine to obey God. The glory of God is that we choose to obey God. You see, it is a choice. It is the act of the will. It is glorifying God with our, with our will. Mankind was created with free will, able not to sin, but also created with free will and had the capacity to sin, which is what he does. It is such a 
significant verse in the entire Bible, Genesis 3:6. She ate it, and she gave it to her husband, and he ate it. So finally, sin entered the world, but what happened? Exactly what God said. Separation from God and death. Now come to Adam and Eve and follow in the same way to all generations that follow. What we have here is very interesting. Verse number seven, the eyes of both of them are opened. That is, they come to have self-awareness. But it's not just self-awareness that they're naked. Oh no, don't don't miss this. It's self-awareness that they have sinned. It's self-awareness, I have disobeyed God. I have done what I should not have done. I have disobeyed God. The eyes of both of them were opened and they knew that they were naked and that they, they sewed fig leaves together and they made themselves loin covers. They heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden, verse number eight, in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife, what sad words, what sad words for this beautiful place, this beautiful paradise God had made, now the paradise God has made for mankind, we find man and woman because of their sin, hiding from the very presence of God. They don't want to be around God. They don't want to have fellowship with God. They hide among the trees. And God comes along saying to them, where are you? Where are you? They sinned in full awareness, self-awareness, Now of what they have done, they now know each other in a way that they did not know each other before. And now I remind you of this. This is what happens with sin. This is why we have such troubles in our world today, in our personal lives, in our own individual lives, is because self now becomes the center of Adam and Eve's life rather than God. Self. (coughs) Self Self-awareness leads to self-consciousness. Self-consciousness leads to self-pride and self-arrogance. This is at the heart of the sin in all of our lives today. This is what happens when you sin in your marriage. This is what happens when you sin among your children before your children or grandchildren or you children you sin. We sin because of self-centeredness. She saw that it would be good She saw that it would give wisdom. She saw that it would be best for her. Self-pride, self-arrogance. Mark it down whether you like it or not today. Sin causes you to revolt and rebel against God and live in self-centeredness. And I submit to you, as John reminds us, if we confess our sin as believers, he forgives us. Sin is the same whether you're lost or saved. Sin brings you back to living a life where self is in the center, where we walk away from God, where we lose our relationship from him, and we have no interest in the things of God. Mankind sinned and hid himself from the presence of God. He did not want to be around God. He wanted to be away from God, separate, and God goes on the search as we read these words, where are you? Where are you? And of course, what sin always does is blame someone else. We know that. 
Adam tells God, well, it's the woman you gave me in verse number 10. Adam blames Eve for it. And then Eve blames the devil for lying to her and being deceived. You see, God asked these two questions today. Where are you? But don't miss the last one that God asked to Eve. What is this you have done? Listen, my friends, when you, when you come to know the Lord Jesus Christ, you know what the Holy Spirit begins by doing in your life? You know how you first begin to wake up and see your sinfulness when you've heard the gospel, when someone shared the gospel of Jesus with you, all of a sudden it's like the Holy Spirit says, where are you? Where are you? Where are you? And what have you done? Where are you? And what have you done? Some of you who have walked with God and there was a time in your life when your heart would burn for God and you lived with revival fires filled with the Holy Spirit, but you're a long way from that today. The Holy Spirit says to you, where, where are you? Where are you? Where are you today? Are you all caught up again in your own life goals? Are you again caught up with your family? Are you again caught up in your job? Where are you today? Where are you today? Why is our relationship not what it ought to be? Where are you and what have you done? Are these the things you've chosen to put your time on and your ability on? Is this what you invest your time in? Where are you and what have you done? These words did not shame Adam and Eve. They were already ashamed. They are words that call out from God's mercy and grace to help us understand. You see, until I know that I'm a sinner, I'll never call out to be saved. I must first know that I have sinned. And so God says, through these words, where are you and what have you done? Now, Romans chapter 5, quickly, and we'll be finished. Let's, please look, Romans 5. So through one, one uh, human being, one, two human beings, one couple, what happened to our world? Listen to how Paul describes it. We'll read it again, beginning in verse number 12 of Romans 5. Just as through one man, sin entered into the world, and death through sin. And so death spread to all men because all sin. You see, we sin though we did not take a fruit, an apple or a fruit or whatever it may have been from the tree of knowledge, whatever the fruit was like. We have sinned in the same way as Adam and Eve, as I've mentioned. We believe lies, we lust and desire for it and our flesh becomes uncontrollably in charge and we rebel and, and go against God. We go on and read in Romans 5, 17. Please notice, for by the transgression of the one, death reigned. Verse number 18, so then as through one transgression, there resulted condemnation. Verse 19, for as through the one man's disobedience, the many were made sinners. So that, 21, as sin reigned in death, sin reigns in death, even so grace would reign through righteousness to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Because you see, it's through the one Lord Jesus that we have forgiveness of our sins and we are given in place of eternal death, eternal life. I want you to know my friend here today. I will not be your friend if I do not tell you 
Your religion will never save you. Your religion will never give you eternal life. You must believe in the Lord Jesus Christ to have eternal life. Don't go to your grave thinking that if you're religious and if you know your Bible, that'll be enough. Don't go to your grave thinking that if you're just a moral person, that'll be enough. You must believe and you must surrender to the Lord Jesus Christ, confess your sin, that He is Lord, and you must believe in Him so that you receive eternal life. Those who sin are eternally dead. They're dead. before They're walking dead men. Those who have sin in their life today, who are alive, are just as good dead because they do not know the Lord Jesus Christ. This is why we share the gospel. This is why we go all over the world. We go, and these are the things I want you to remember, so let me just put them up. The things I want you to remember are these. Sin begins when we disobey God. Sin continues in your life and mine when we disobey God. We walk with God, we get right with God, He saves us, we start walking with Him, and then all of a sudden we believe a lie. We let our flesh We don't crucify our flesh. We don't deal with our flesh and our desires and our passions. We don't deal with the daily battle and get rid of sin. It comes back. It rises up. We sin against God again as believers. And so sin lives in our mental lies and our fleshly lusts. This is all around us. Those who are lost in their sin have corrupted corrupted their minds and convinced themselves that God's word is not true and these, the God's created order is not what it ought to be. And we spend lots of time worrying and criticizing the lost world without Christ. But I see it among believers. Believers who push down the truth of God and who say, well, you know what? I'm going to do this anyway. God will just forgive me by his grace. Yes, God forgives by his grace, my Christian friend, but oh, the consequences that you will carry the rest of your life Oh, that you remember that there is a fruit that comes from sinful actions. And though he forgives us and gives us grace and graces us again with our relationship with God, we carry, we carry with us the consequences of our sin because when you're in your sin, it deadens you from any relationship with God. That's why you don't want to pray. That's why you don't care about reading the Bible. Frankly, going to church, when it's convenient. Coming to worship is a matter of doing things when it's in order or when I like the people up there doing all the leading. If I like all them, then I'll go up there. Deadness to God. No relationship with God. No heart for God. No love for other people like Jesus loved us. Deadening us. Sin deadens us. Sin deadens us in our relationship with God. That's why it's told to us the wages of sin is death. Oh, the sadness of living your Christian life again back in your sin. We sang it all of our lives, many of us. I've wandered far away from God and God is saying to you today, this is another chance. Listen, this is another chance for some of you to hear. God is saying, where are you? And what have you done? These questions are asked so that we might repent and come back to him. You see, I want you to remember sin leaves mental torture, fear, shame, but it also leaves a mark. It leaves a mark. All of your days. You see, I talk with people all of my ministry life 
about how much regret they have for things they've done in their past. We assure them that God has forgiven them and He has when they confess their sin. But oh, what plagues them and what some of them carry as a result of the consequences of their sin goes with them to their very grave. So God says to Adam and to Eve, where are you? And we again have the chance to hear the Holy Spirit say to us, where are you? I don't believe God was yelling and screaming at Adam and Eve. I think he was saying this just like a concerned parent would talk about a lost child. Where are you? Where are you? You've, have you ever lost track of your child somewhere? Where are you? It's the compassion and desire that reaches out to the one who made us, who knows us best, who wants a relationship with all of us today. And when he finally met with Eve and said, what have you done? What have you done? He said the same thing soon to a child of Eve. Cain. Cain, over a religious sacrifice, killed his brother over religious matter. Mad at God, Cain kills his brother. And you know what God says to him? What have you done? What have you done? So today, before I can come to know the Lord Jesus Christ, I must come clean Here's what I have done. Here's what I have done. Forgive me of my sins. Cleanse me from my unrighteousness and make me new. This is the prayer of every believer all of our lives. Our Lord taught us in the disciples' prayer, forgive us our debts. What debts do you carry today against God? What sins and revolt and rebellion do you demonstrate in your mind and in your actions today? Well, you see, this is what we're confronted with. When I remember my Creator, I come and I confess, this is what I have done. And this is what you must forgive me for doing. When the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was desirable to make one wise, she took from its fruit and ate and she gave also to her husband with her, and he ate. And God said, where are you? To the praise of the glory of his grace. The Lord Jesus is near to the door, my brothers and sisters. We pray, come Lord Jesus.